This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. I am John Bateman. You're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast, which can be found at anxietycanada.com or on any of your popular podcast platforms. Today, I'm talking to Tamara Taggart. After 30 years in broadcasting, Tamara is exploring new opportunities with her activism and advocacy in healthcare for people with disabilities and for the marginalized people in Vancouver. She's also the host of TELUS Talks with Tamara Taggart, where she brings together experts, thinkers, and leaders, sharing stories and staying connected when Canadians need it most. Hi, Tamara. Hi. Thanks for joining me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited that you're here. Yeah. We will kick it off with the Mm. same question always. Um, Tamara, what's your anxiety story? Yeah, I, I see. I know you start your podcast this mm-hmm. way, so I've I've been thinking about it, and it's mm-hmm. such an interesting question. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder how people I know would answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that my anxiety story started from birth. Right. I think that I am someone who has lived in. Um, an anxious environment, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was younger and, um, I did not know what anxiety was until about, I would say about eight years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, maybe six, I don't know. Right. And it started for me truly like when I recognized it, uh, at work, I, um, had just finished, About 10 months earlier, I had finished my chemo. I was on, I had cancer. I was diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. in 2012, I think. It's all foggy to me now. And I did three years of chemo. Wow. I also was working full time. I had uh, three little kids at home. I had a husband who was on the road a lot. Yeah, I still have a husband and I still have three kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yep, um, <laughs> good. Yep. Check, check. Yeah, exactly. But I was working a lot and volunteering a lot. Any of my mm. extra time, which wasn't very much, I was volunteering. And I was at work. We had finished our news meeting and we were sitting around the news boardroom table. There were four of us. And we were discussing something that was coming up mm-hmm. and I felt odd. Like I knew that I felt odd. I felt angry and I was feeling angry mm-hmm. because I was being asked to do something again that I felt my coworker was never asked to do. Right. And it, it really bugged me that day for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I said something. I said, how come you can't do this? Like, why do I have to always do this? Why can't you do it? Mm-hmm. And they turned to me and they said, because I'm not going to. See, that sounds triggering. I lost it. Yeah. I have, I had no many control. people would. Many people would. Uh, but I, I had something happen to me that I didn't even know was possible. I lost yeah. all feeling in my body. Right. I, I, I had no control over what I was saying, how I was acting, how I was feeling. And I had, it felt like 40 years of rage, 
come flying mm-hmm. out of me mm-hmm. towards this moment. And I stormed off and I, you know, I went on air and wow. I, yeah. So and, you gathered yourself somehow within that. Uh, it was, I don't even remember any of it. Yeah. And shortly after that, I um, saw my psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I'd never been on medication. I mm-hmm. had never been diagnosed with anything. Mm-hmm. I had gone to originally see them because I, I was worried after my son was born. So my son uh, has Down syndrome, our first child. Mm-hmm. And it came with also a lot of stress that I didn't recognize, right? And a lot of fear that I didn't recognize. Right. Um, fear of the unknown and, you know, the, the, uh, the gaze of other people, you know, that really uh, weighed heavy on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just like everything just, you know, came out. And I went to go see my psychiatrist and she said, you're not going to work for the next little while. And I said, what? Wow. She said, you're not going to work. And I said, oh no, but I have to go to work. Like I, I worked through, I came back early from all my mat leaves. I, you know, went back to work when my kids were three and a half, four months old, all three of them. I went back to work too early after cancer. Like I cannot take time off because I had a little bit of a hissy fit at work, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. it, It wasn't that, you know? And I, shortly after that, I was diagnosed with anxiety. I was diagnosed with depression. Mm-hmm. And that has been where, you know, I'm at for the last, I'd say eight years, but I recognize now that I was always, I always had anxiety. I always had depression, but I think that I was in survival mode all the time. Um, I left home when I was 15 I, um, you know, I lived with friends and their moms and all kinds of things. Um, I had a very tumultuous, uh, childhood and there was a lot of un, um, you know, a lot of trauma that was not, um, I guess, I, I guess I just buried it and I disassociated from all emotion and I buried myself in work. And if work wasn't busy enough and home wasn't busy enough, then I volunteered all my extra time so that I never, ever, ever had to think about what was happening in my, in my brain and in my body. So you think that, so you think that you're, uh, you know, a lot of people do that. They, the, and I still, I still do that to a degree. I do too. It's like, I always yeah, like to course. be doing something and yes. I have a hard time sitting down and doing quotes nothing because yes. then I start listening to my brain and that's not always a great thing yeah. you know um but you know it, it's interesting how you you know the core the career path you took you mm. took a, a career path where you have to be together mm-hmm. you know when we when we used to watch you on tv mm-hmm. you'd have to be like like you said after you had your hissy fit you had to be put together <clears throat> so do you feel like that your career kind of force you down a path of suspending your emotions in that sense? 100%. I, I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's been five years since I was on television. Mm-hmm. And in that five years, I've done an enormous amount of work on myself. And um, I, I would, I, it's not like I'm, you know, I haven't figured it all out, but I do see things now where 
I understand how I was, what my, how I coped with things. You know, we, we all have different, different coping mechanisms. And mine was to be so busy that I didn't have a second to think about anything else. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's funny cause I, I don't know if you notice this, but every time you see, you know, a doctor about your mental health or something, they all, one of the things they always ask you is how's your sleep? Yes. Right. How's your sleep? Kind of number one with diet. Yeah. Yeah. And exercise. Yeah. I am an excellent sleeper and I always have been an excellent sleeper and I Mm -hmm. still am an excellent sleeper. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I'm just exhausted all the time because I never stop. And my, I, I realize that my new thing right now is. Um, I still have a lot of old habits, you know, volunteering for everything and, <laughs> uh, keeping myself busy and all that sort of stuff. But I also have now, um, started, uh, during the pandemic, I started rage cleaning. And so, you know, I, <laughs> I like, I can clean an oven or a dishwasher. Like nobody's ever seen before. And to I me, rage clean, I rage clean. I, I've never put a label on it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It's rage cleaning. And for me, it calms me because I'm like, okay, I'm feeling, you know, this is what I'm feeling. I can identify it. I'm going to take that dishwasher apart. And mm-hmm. then that's what I do. And, and I think, you know what, I, it's so interesting because there's such a fine line between what I think are healthy tools and what I think are unhealthy tools, because I do a lot of that too. I, I rely on when I'm not doing something, you know, work, podcast, renovating, my, whatever I got. I'm like you, I've got, I always have a list of things to doing uh, of the things I'm doing, but I find, you know, and I, and I find myself kind of trying to justify these alternative tools for working with my brain. And one of them is definitely cleaning and organizing mm-hmm. and doing the dishes yes. and doing them perfectly and yes. stacking the dishwasher perfectly. Um, but you know, yes. do you like, I feel like, I feel like we often, you know, we sometimes get shamed out of people who are work in quotes, workaholics. I come mm-hmm. from a family of them. And um, a lot of people get kind of shamed for that behavior. You know, Mm. you should be sitting down, you should be reading, you should like, like, but I've turned the corner on that where I think this is what I like doing. I have a great result at the end of it. You know, I'm not, no one's ever said that to me. No one's ever said you should be doing this or you should be, you know what they used to say to me is you are so busy. I don't know how you do it all. It's you're amazing. Yeah. How do you do all of this? And I, Mm -hmm. and I would think to myself, oh, I'm, I'm not busy like at all. (laughs) What are you yeah. talking about? Like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm not busy. I'm mm-hmm. not amazing. I'm not any, no, no, no. I'm just doing what I like. That's and that's how I you. framed it for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. That, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no mm-hmm. idea. I couldn't identify any of that because I've been in, I, I feel now looking back that I have been, I have been, well, I think it's two things. One, I think that I have been hiding who I really am. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, it's not like I was, you know, fake on television. Like my personality is my personality and, Mm -hmm. and that's who I am and who I was on TV is who I am in, in real life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm very open and, um, and honest and I, you know, I, but I have, you know, I have deep, deep trauma. And it's hard for me to say that because Mm -hmm. I also compare trauma. Right. So I, I see other people's trauma and I go, Oh, I'm, 
yeah, my trauma is not that bad. So I'm not going to even mention my trauma. I, I do the same thing. It's, it's very classic. It's comparison, mm-hmm. right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, what right do I have to complain about my childhood? Mm-hmm. Um, when this person over here really, you know, they really had trauma, like that's not, you know, and I also think that on the outside, everything looks, you know, pretty good. Yeah. You know, yep. I think people have always looked at me and thought that I've had it easy and that I, you know, I sailed through life <laughs> and that I, you know, have lots of money and I, oh my gosh, you know, we are like, that's right? carbon copy for me. Carbon copy think, for me, of course, because you know, my dad is yes, like of course. a famous quote, wealthy right. artist. So, so people just assume. Of course. Right. And I think that I have, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm like a book that's been judged by its cover. Right. And that's fine. I get it. I Mm -hmm. totally get it. So what I've done, my doctor said to me, my family doctor said to me after I had that massive anxiety attack and I was off work for three months and, um, yeah, it was something else and what an experience. And I went into my GP's office and I told her what had happened mm-hmm. and she went, mm, I'm not surprised. And I said, what? <laughs> and she said, I'm not surprised. And I yeah. said, why? And she said, because for as long as I've known you, you're just a soldier. You yeah. soldier on. She goes, you had, you know, you left home when you were, you know, 15 and you just soldiered on, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be independent? How am I going to get through school? How am I going to get a job? How am I going to do these things? How am I going to work, 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 Mm -hmm. work, work. Mm -hmm. And, and so that I can have the things that make me feel safe. And she goes, and then you had a baby with a disability and you were like, okay, yep. Nothing to see here. People we're going to move forward. Everything's fine. Everything's good. She goes, and then you got cancer and you did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And she goes, every, almost every cancer patient that I have had has some kind of a breakdown, anxiety attack, something mm-hmm. within a few minutes of within a few months or, or weeks of finishing their treatment, because you have been in this, you know, fight, Oh yeah, you know, for a long time mm-hmm. and your only purpose, your only, you know, is you're just going to follow the rules and survive this, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're thinking. Yeah. And then when it's all done and your chemo's done and everything's done, you eventually, you know, realize, oh God, I don't have to fight anymore. Now I can feel. And then it all falls apart. She goes, the difference is, is most people it happens in a couple of, in a few weeks or a few months, she goes, you took almost a year, which makes sense considering how you, you know, how you have been lived, how you live your life, Mm, Um, you know, kind of, kind of putting, you know, either putting things on back burner or ignoring it or whatever you do, whatever you do. Um, So do you think essentially then you, you have been in what many of us would call survival mode for a long time? Yeah. 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 I think I still am. I fight, I, I fight, um, I fight emotions so hard. Right. I really do. And because uh, crying was always, I always thought crying was a sign of weakness. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, being weak was bad. Yeah. And um, that's what I was. That's what I believed when I was Mm -hmm. much, much, Mm -hmm. much younger. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, when you, um, grow up, you know, with, um, in a household that is not, well, it just feels chaotic and, um, you can't understand it. And it's, mm-hmm. it feels scary for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. And then you leave when you're a teenager or you're asked to leave, depending on yeah, okay. who you talk yeah. to in my family. Yeah. Right. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and I mean, it's, it's, I think the hardest part for me now is that, you know, I'm 54 years old mm-hmm. and I'm still working through, you know, what happened when I was 13, 14. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel exhausted by it. And so I think that's all part of it too, is I, I would rather just not deal with it because it's yeah. so much easier to just like, okay, I get it. Like, this is what happened. I'm, I was sad and, you know, and then I got a job and I was better and then, you know, these mm-hmm. things happen, but now I'm better. And I would like to just wrap it all up in a package and like send it out there, but yeah, it doesn't work like that. And it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. So when you, so I'm kind of thinking, it sounds like when you had this moment Mm-hmm. in the in the briefing room there where mm-hmm. you kind of mm-hmm. lost it um mm-hmm. and you reached your point mm-hmm. um i kind of call it a hill to die on it's like you've decided that's it i'm yeah well um, i just had no control over it yeah yeah well that's yeah i i mean my first indicators when i'm monitoring my anxiety and depression my first indicators are not anxiety and depression they're um short temper anger Mm. those are my first ones. And I'm like, mm. you, I go to, I've closed my eyes and I'm asleep. Like I don't have any problems sleeping. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. So the, but those are my first indicators. I keep really acute, you know, look at those indicators. But what I want to circle back to is when you went and talked to your psychiatrist and your psychiatrist diagnosed you, when did you start? Cause it sounded like you were denying your trauma quite a bit in the beginning, or you knew it was there, but you weren't working on it. So is there a point where you started working on it? in earnest, as in, you know, talking about it with your psychiatrist or with friends or with people, what point did you start working on it? And it sounds like you're probably still working on it on some level. Oh, I'm definitely still working on it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting because I am somebody who has been in therapy my entire life Mm -hmm. since for as long as I can remember. And I do remember being, uh, maybe 14, 13, 14, and going, um, going to a counselor or something with, you know, my parents and, um, and that was my sort of first, you know, exposure to that sort of, you know, talk therapy, if you will, except I was in it with my parents and I that's, was not, that's interested. quite, yeah, that's quite early. Um, if you're mm-hmm. saying sounds like you're probably born around 1968. That's uh, correct, yep, John. Yep. Very good. I know that because me too. <laughs> and, um, and, and in that era, that's pretty enlightened and early to be going to a counselor. Like, you know, so you're, you're talking about basically 1980 that you're a yeah. young person going to counselor because yeah. man, not many were. No. Yeah. What was no. the catalyst for you going into the therapy at that age? Was it your parents? Was it you? It was, uh, it was because I, uh, my mother got remarried and, um, and then they, I guess, decided that we needed to do this because I don't know, 
I guess they thought I was a bad kid or something. I have no idea. But interesting. They did it with you. Well, yeah. And I think that it was because that was after, no, actually, I think that when I went for the first time, it was short. So what happened was, is I was, I was kicked out of the house twice. Okay. Now my family might describe it as I chose to leave. I yeah. vehemently disagree. Yeah. Um, we, and, we all uh, have this. We all have different know? perceptions of history. Each person, yeah. you know, could be yeah. in a room and I experience know. the same thing. And then 10 years later, it's completely different. Recounted completely differently. I know. And so, yeah. uh, you know, and then I think I came back after the first time and that's when we went to some counseling. Mm-hmm. And then after that, no, we didn't. And I didn't enter, I didn't enter uh, any therapy or anything until I got into my twenties and I had completed, um, you know, high school. And then I put myself through BCIT. I lived on campus there. I, I got, you know, I applied for a student loan and I also got a little bit of a bursary Mm -hmm. and, um, and I completed BCIT and then I got my first job. And my first job was my first like full-time job was at CFOX and I was young. I was 21 or something. And I, I remember because one of one of uh, my friends there, he he went to go give me a hug or something mm. and I recoiled. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said he noticed it. I saw him notice it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I was never good with that. Like I just I was never good with it. Yeah. And he said something to me one day. He said, I noticed that whenever anybody goes to like put their arm around you or, you know, or give you a hug or, or Mm -hmm. something like that, you physically, you know, you have a physical reaction. Why is that? Yeah. And no one had ever asked me that before. And he said, did you have a, did you have an answer? I don't remember, but I just, I just remember thinking, wow, I, this is a new person in my life. And that's very interesting that they would notice that he was older than me. Yeah. And he said to me, do you think that maybe you should talk to someone? And he gave me the name of somebody. Well, so he saw that as uh, obviously as an avoidance of physical intimacy or whatever we can call that. Trust or something. Uh, He just saw something that that he recognized. Interesting. And he was, he's, you know, he was somebody that I looked up to and Mm -hmm. I called the person Mm -hmm. and I saw them for quite a while. And from there, I just moved from person to person yeah, for what I yeah. thought. I did some art therapy. I did some writing therapy. Right. And then I, you know, and then I, I, I started doing some really heavy work um, mm-hmm. when I got into my thirties and then, and then life happened, right? Kids, yeah. marriage, yeah. everything, busy, 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 busy. And then my, you know, I was focused on, you know, how I was going to support my family and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't really think about what was going on in my brain. But meanwhile, I still have family around me who is still, Mm -hmm. you know, acting like it's still the 80s. And so eventually it (laughs) all, you know, and so eventually it all kind of comes back. And I think the most difficult part for me, though, really, John, is that it's I feel like I've done an enormous amount of work to try to figure out why I feel the way I do and, and to, to just heal, heal, whatever it is, right. Mm -hmm. Just heal it instead of denying it. And when I feel like whenever I get, you know, a few steps ahead, something happens within, you know, the dynamics of a family, if you will. 
And it throws me back. It can throw me back decades. Yeah, definitely. And so that's, that's where I'm at now. I'm still, I'm still doing the work. I'm still doing like constantly every single week. I, I still talk to somebody and, and yeah. Would you say, I'm interested in, did you have, you know, sort of, have you ever had classic sort of physical symptoms of anxiety? Um, You know what I mean? Like uh, whether it's like rapid heartbeat, sweating, nervous, like all that, all those sort of classic symptoms. No, no, no. I am. I think I'm, I, I think I become so, I became so good at protecting myself from Mm -hmm. a very young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, protecting emotionally, protecting myself, if you will, right? Yeah. That I know how to. I can, you know, I can be crying in a ball one minute, and then if you told me I had to go on air, I could do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that it, it just became. I think I got confused as to like, you know, who I who am I authentically who it who am i mm-hmm. and who do i think i am you know right yeah yeah because i mean you say that you are the same person that you are on air that you are off air etc cetera, et cetera. and i believe that um but you know i do a lot of you know i do this i do a lot of live events and stuff like that and and you know people see people can see a big difference in me because when i'm in an anxious state or when i'm in a depressed state i'm I wear it on my face. I can't deny it. But then I'm like you, I can get on stage and, you know, be mm-hmm. laughy, jokey, blah, blah, blah. And, and people don't get it. Do you feel like you do? You, is, is there any element of that where you become a character at all? You know, where you where you have to split off and protect what is you privately and what is you publicly? I think that I have really been. I think I worked so hard to get to that point in my career where I, you know, all of a sudden with, and listen, I think it's very weird that a person like me who has, you know, trauma, no self-esteem, uh, you know, who is, um, uh, doesn't want anyone to look at them who mm-hmm. I like, I'm somebody who I, I am somebody who ha- uh, who prefers to not be looked at. It's just the weirdest thing. And then yeah. I ended up on TV and it doesn't make any sense at all. But in some ways it does make sense to me because it, I became that person, right? I became, mm-hmm. I became the, I became the person that um, I always wanted to be, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Like that I was, you know, I was happy and I can, you know, be myself on, on television and, it, yeah, it was, it was just such an odd thing for me because at, at my core, I'm, I think I'm a people pleaser. Right. And I want yeah. people to like me and yeah. I want yeah. people to want to be my friend and hence I want to be, you know, hence friends. the volunteering and, and all that other stuff you do too. Right. I don't think there's anything really particularly wrong with that. Yeah, I guess not. And, unless, but it's because, I will unless it's say, starting to sacrifice your happiness, of course. But listen, you know? I will say that when you work somewhere for 22 years and you're told that you are, you know, um, you know, this, you know, amazing uh, person at the at the workplace and blah, 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 blah. And then you're blindsided mm-hmm. and let go, which is what happened to me. I, I, and, I, right? we, we remember that very well. That was something 
obviously that I wasn't prepared for. I wasn't prepared to be blindsided. I wasn't mm-hmm. prepared to, oh gosh, I get really emotional when I talk about yeah, this because this for is sure, something but, that really still is with me. And I but if haven't people don't know, it, it was you it. and your anchor. Um, mm-hmm. co-anchor, I what, yeah. yeah, co-anchor. Um, that both all of a sudden were gone. Yeah. Because and there's not I did an watch it. I did watch you guys every night. Yeah. And a lot of people did, but apparently, yeah. um, you know, anyways, Very disorienting. Yeah. It was horrible. And yeah. what I didn't realize at the time was that it brought up something yeah. that I had been hiding for decades. And that right. was um abandonment. Right. Yeah. And I didn't sure. realize that. I didn't know yeah. that at the time. I just knew that I was physically um, incapable of functioning yeah. uh, for quite some time after that. And, you know, I, I mean, it was just in the news that Lisa Laflamme, who, you know, was the, Big time the, the, the national anchor yeah. at, the, at the place where I used to work, um, she was blindsided mm-hmm. after, you know, 35 years working at the same place. And when I read about it and I, and I know her and, Mm -hmm. you know, we all kind of know each other. Right. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had been taken back to April 5th, 2018. And, you know, it really, yeah, it was, it's still there. Obviously that pain is still there. So what is that pain? Right. And that's what I have to, that's where I have to dig. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So clearly I am not, um, healed from my trauma of abandonment mm-hmm. yeah. because that, that was, listen, and I think that anybody that gets blindsided at their job, no matter what they do for a job, I think is hideous. And I think that it should never be done to somebody. I understand why bosses do it, but yeah. you know, there's no humanity. There's no, you know, human resources does not have any humanity in it. It's unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Very corporate, of course. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was that I wasn't, I, I, I really, truly, I, I started 2018 knowing that I was turning 50 in a few months yep. and that I had never felt better in my life. Mm-hmm. I felt strong. I felt like I was finally going to be an adult <laughs> yep, yep. when I turned 50. I'm waiting. And, you know, and, yeah. and that life was good. You know, yeah. it was really good. And I, I liked people I worked with. I loved my job. I loved, you know, I loved everything. And mm-hmm. for the first time, I was feeling really confident. And then mm-hmm. that happened. And I feel like it took me right back to when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because there's, there's, I've interviewed people who don't have sort of typical symptoms, anxiety, but Mm -hmm. like, it seems to me that you've got something in your brain, some way of thinking that enables you to, to move on and be a productive human, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. You know, and and it's just, you know, I, I wonder, I, I, you know, talking to you, I wonder how, you know, what parts of your brain, you know, what thoughts, if you have conscious thoughts, you know, say once you've gotten over the initial shock of being let go, or, or once you you've gotten over the, the you know the shock that you have a child who has Down syndrome, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff. You know what what are you telling yourself at that point? What is your brain saying to itself? Because a lot of people would be like, "Life is horrible. I give up," and then they go in bed and they don't come out. Mm. You know? I did have days like that. Don't think I didn't. Yeah, I, yeah of yeah. course I yeah. did. I had days yeah. where I couldn't get out of bed. 
I had days where, you know, my husband was deeply worried about me. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. had, I don't, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I haven't had those days. I've had many of those days for in sure, the last for sure. five years, for the sure. last five years I've had yeah. those days. Yeah. I didn't have them before, Yeah. but the, the, the blind side at work, um, after 22 years, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the public, it felt public. I felt like I was publicly humiliated is how I felt. Honestly, I mean, you know, I don't think people felt you were humiliated, but people certainly. I felt that uh, way. Yeah, of course you would. But, uh, you know, of course, our perception in the public is very different. Of course. And I didn't get out of bed for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, really had to. I, I, you know, and I, you know, I just went out with my friends and drank lots of wine and, you know, wallowed in my, in my my sadness. Right. Mm -hmm. And my, and when will I get to anger and when will I get to, you know, and it's, I think what's really interesting is, and, and this is why I think therapy is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, here I was in therapy for so long and I, I was only diagnosed with anxiety and depression a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And put on medication, which I've yeah. never, ever done before. Right. And it changed, it changed my life within weeks. Right. Yeah. I felt like a different person and I recognized, oh, maybe somebody <laughs> mentioned this to me before. Right. But yesterday when I was talking to my doctor, I was crying. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't cry in therapy. And it's really? one thing yeah. that really yeah has always, you know, therapists have always said to me, you never cry. <laughs> and I always say, I'm scared that if I start, I won't stop. I, I've heard and that. That's before, what yeah. I, that's, it's truly what I'm yeah. scared of. Yeah. But yesterday I was crying. Cause I was, you know, I've, I've had, um, you know, something come up in, in, in my extended family that has really, you know, upset me and, mm-hmm. and taken me back a long, a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was crying and she said to me, you know, cause we were talking about, you know, my childhood and, and all that sort of stuff. And she said, I think that this is grief, what you're feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is grief. And that made sense to you Did that, did you identify yeah. Like, did you, did you have a definition of grief before that even, because it sounds like a lot of what you're describing to me would involve a lot of grief. And, and, you know, it's interesting yeah. to go back to this because, you know, you say you, you talk about sort of grief and no, I'm not experiencing grief or trauma. That's grief and trauma. But, you know, I, I feel like we really need to take the time to justify what we're going through. Yeah. You know, count our blessings from what we're not going through, but then realize our grief and our trauma is just as legitimate, no matter how big or small. Totally. And I don't think I ever did do that. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that I was brought up to believe that you're, you're, you only have grief if someone dies. Exactly. You don't have grief if you lost a job and you don't have grief if you know, you're sad about your childhood or something. That's Mm -hmm. not grief. Mm -hmm. Grief is when someone dies. And I I think I've always believed that. And I understand that to not be true. Now Mm -hmm. grief comes in, in all different, you know, ways and forms. Yeah. And, and we all deal with grief in very different ways. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, uh, it's a, I, the one thing I don't like is I don't like how, how mentally exhausting therapy is, right? It is, it is yeah, a workout. And is. sometimes after, you know, I have a session, I can't do anything else. Yeah. 
I, I, I just can't explain it to anybody. It's just, mm-hmm. it's too much. I'm done. I'm, you know, and maybe it wasn't even that intense or something. I don't know, but it's just something happens in you physically where you're mm-hmm. like, I just, I need to go just take it easy. I think I'm probably 50, 50. I think sometimes I come out really more for lack of a better term jacked, like, you know, I've, right. you know, it gives me energy and sometimes I come out just spent for sure. Yeah. I think you know, I'm more of the spent kind. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, we all process things differently and, and definitely yeah. the way our brain, you know, our brain functions, anxiety and depression that leads to physical exhaustion. You know, that definitely leads to that. You know, I, what I've, what I just to circle back to grief for a second is, do you, do you, are you hoping for are you anticipating a time? Cause I've lost best friends. You know, my best friend for 20 years died out of nowhere. He was only 60 and and so I've, I've experienced a lot of, of death grief, you know, mm. a different kind of grief. Mm-hmm. And I came to realize that there's no end to it. It just, it just comes in different forms and it comes and goes, and it will always be there until I, I die. Probably like, you know, how do you view grief? Do you view it as, as being a beginning, middle end or as a journey or, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because one of my dearest friends is a grief counselor. Interesting. And, um, she, uh, she's an author and lives in California. Her name is, uh, Claire Bidwell Smith. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a book called, um, she's written many, many books, but, uh, her last book is called anxiety, the missing, the missing step in grief or something like that. I can't remember. Anyways, I can't remember what it's called exactly. She'll be mad at me for not remembering. Yeah. And her and I talk about grief all the time because mm. I've learned, and I've learned so much from her about grief and, mm. um, and she's very open and, and giving, um, to others about it, like through social media and stuff. And so I don't look at it as a beginning, middle and end. I understand that it ebbs and flows. Now I understand that grief comes, um, it shows up differently mm-hmm. in everybody. Mm-hmm. And I do find that, you know, both my mother-in-law and father-in-law, um, have passed away yeah. and my mother-in-law, she died last year mm-hmm. and it was during the pandemic. And it was, you mm-hmm. know, and it was, we did have a service, but it was only 50 people allowed and all that Ugh. sort of stuff. Yeah. And I've had a very hard time with her death. And I, and, and I know that my husband has too. not, not, not that we didn't have a hard time with his father's death. Of course we did. It's a yeah. massive, massive hole in our family, but we were with him all the time Yeah, when he was from when he was diagnosed to when he passed away. And before that we were with them all, all the time too. But mm-hmm. during the pandemic, we couldn't see yeah. We couldn't see, you know, mom. And so you didn't get to go through the regular progression. And so it was, it's been very difficult for all of us, especially my kids, I think too, because we missed so much time with her because of, you know, the, the, the guidelines that we were under, you know, the public health um, order and all that, which we had to experience obviously to keep everybody safe. We couldn't go see her if, you know, we could be sick. So I think that, you know, that is a grief there that, I'm having, I know we're all having a challenging yeah. time with, because it's still, it's still a year later. doesn't seem real to us. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your podcast with, uh, tell us. Oh yeah. So it was, so 
what was it? March 13th, 2020 is when I remember it so well, right? That's mm-hmm. when the last day of school before spring break. And then all yeah. of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, there's this thing and we're yeah. shutting everything down. Yeah. Yeah. And the next day, March 14th, it was Saturday. I get a phone call um, from somebody at TELUS and they said, I have an idea. And I said, what? And they said, we want to do a podcast. And we think that, you know, like this, I think COVID might be like a big thing. And I think that, you know, we should let people know how to take care of themselves in with longer conversations. They're on top of it. It was unbelievable. Right. And I said, oh, that sounds amazing. And they said, yeah, we can have, you know, conversations with doctors and epidemiologists and stuff like, what can we do? What can we do to be safe? What can we learn about this? And I said, this is great. I said, you know, if you get it organized, Mm -hmm. um, you could probably make this happen in the next couple of weeks. And they said to me, oh no, I was hoping you could show up this afternoon at our studio to (laughs) record the first one. I said, what? Yeah. Okay. And I of did. Of course, being I, you. Yeah. Right? You, you I did. drove down there and yeah. I, I recorded too. And wow. then we started to lock down and they showed yeah. up in my, um, I'm in my basement and they yeah. set up, honestly, they, they hardwired me in for Wi-Fi. Amazing. They put a light in my office. They put a microphone here wow. and we've done, I think 130 episodes now. We've my been doing gosh. Years. So you, you now, I mean, you've obviously come out of the COVID thing. I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about everything in the, in that broad yeah, spectrum. Yeah. We are now. And you know, it's great. I think that we lean health, mm-hmm. mental health, mm-hmm. physical health, emotional health. Mm-hmm. Um, we also talk a lot about social justice. Yeah. Um, amazing. We talk a lot about indigenous, um, indigenous life and how we can be better and how we can decolonize. We talk a lot about that. I've had some incredible guests on. I mean, I can't believe some of the people I've spoken to. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, really, we have a monthly meeting and we brainstorm and I'm an avid reader and I'm always buying books. And I, you know, every time we have a meeting, I'm like, okay, I've got eight new books and I want (laughs) to, I think we should talk to all eight authors. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think that we... I, I, I love having conversations with people. It's like, I like talking to you. I like yeah, talking me to my guests. I, yep. I love it. And yeah, me too. It's, it's what I, it's, I think it's what I do best is, you know, asking people questions. And so totally. I want to keep doing that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it's an excellent way to, to give back and to share, you know, I'm sure within, within you, your hosting duties, you share a lot of what, what is you as well. I don't know yeah, how I that could really yeah. come out, you bit. know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's amazing. So that's called uh, Tell Us Talks with Tamara Taggart. Yeah. That's really some good. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. A lot, a lot of teas. I love it. Tamara, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to talk to me again. I hope we can talk again because I feel like there's another, you know, hour of questions I can ask <laughs> you. You're just yeah. so good at this. And I really appreciate oh. you taking the time and I appreciate what you do for the whole healthcare system. It, it's just awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'm thrilled that you asked me to be a guest on your podcast. So thank you. Great. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.